Welcome to All Places Together. Here we believe that our stories are connected to one another and rooted in God's radical love for diverse creation. Wherever you are, whoever you are, however you are, take a deep breath. This week's episode is called Authentic Expression. Today at All Places Together, we are continuing our journey through celebrating God's boundless diversity. And today our focus is on gender expression, and we're going to explore some of the beautiful ways that God's people express themselves through gender. Today, I am so happy to welcome Katie Miles Wallace to All Places Together. Katie serves as the Inclusivity, Diversity, and Equity and Communications Coordinator for the Southwestern Texas Synod in the ELCA. Katie uses pronouns like they and she. In this role, Katie does a variety of things, primarily leading a team that guides synod diversity efforts and doing lots of writing and newsletter construction and communicating. They graduated from Texas Lutheran University and Pacific Lutheran Theological Seminary. Katie is currently awaiting call, and in the meantime, she's in the beginning stages of developing a network of LGBTQIA plus Lutherans in the Southwestern Texas Synod. Katie is also the artist behind Queerly Christian and spends their free time gardening and shamelessly re-watching Marvel movies. Katie, thank you so much for being with us today at All Places Together. Thank you for having me. Now, I do have to follow up and ask, what is your favorite Marvel movie? What's the one you find yourself rewatching the most? I'm a sucker for Captain America. I love it. I love it. Do you have a favorite oh. out of like those three movies or just like in general, whatever he's in, he's your favorite? No, the original. Uh, my whole family calls me Captain America, and so I, I kind of live into that space uh, as much as possible. Oh, that's amazing. I love it. Well, today we are going to be talking about gender expression. And if that's not something you've heard before or know quite what that means, you are in the right place. Gender expression refers to the external characteristics and behaviors that are socially defined as either masculine or feminine. These things include dress, grooming, mannerisms, speech patterns, and social interactions. And these norms vary culturally. They're different from place to place. I think it's also important to say that gender expression differs from gender identity. Gender identity refers to a person's innate, deeply felt psychological identification as a man, woman, or other gender, which may or may not correspond to the sex assigned to them at birth. There will be a whole other episode about gender identity in particular, so today's focus is about how people express gender and celebrating how God is present in all gender expressions. Also from the beginning, one way that we can think about gender expression is that it's on a spectrum. That's to say feminine on one side, masculine on the other, and androgynous in the middle. However, it's again important to say here that these norms are different between cultures and can shift over time because they are social constructs. They change and move and develop. 
So I think a fun way to dip our toes into learning about this is to talk about skirts. So Katie, what do you think? Are skirts masculine or feminine? It's a tough call, right? Uh, there's there's so much cultural difference in the understanding of skirts. Uh, in America today, I would have to say skirts are typically marked as a feminine thing. Yeah, I would agree with that assessment. And then I also love, like from the get-go, you're like, that's a really interesting question because... In Celtic cultures, of course, like the kilt comes to mind. And that is something that is traditionally masculine. And then also in air on the Arabian Peninsula and in other Middle Eastern countries, men are often seen wearing a thobe, which is the long robe that has long sleeves and then like buttons down the front. I had to Google the name for that. So it really kind of depends on where you're at. Absolutely. And, and I'm Scottish in heritage, so I'm one of the uh, assigned female at birth people that is very comfortable in the masculinity of a kilt. I love it. Do you have a kilt that you wear? I do. I have a, a Wallace Tartan kilt. Now, is Wallace Tartan the particular type of plaid? Is that like a name of plaid or is it a brand? That's the name of the plaid. So it's a, a predominantly red plaid with like black and then gold stripes in it. Oh, that sounds amazing. Ah, I love it. And then also in the church, um, we also kind of gender bend when it comes to an alb. And an alb is the robe that is sometimes white. It's sometimes black that pastors and deacons wear. Lay leaders will sometimes wear them as well. Um, the, the roots of these go back to ancient practices of baptism, that this is what folks would wear in the early church when they were being baptized. But they're essentially a dress. 100%. And they are a dress that we would typify as feminine. And yet in their symbolism, in being this, this equality of the baptized, they end up in androgynous form. Yeah, exactly. And so I I just love this example because they're all functionally the same thing. Like, sure, there's a difference between a skirt and a dress, you know, whether or not it has a top or sleeves. But it's like the same basic thing. And in all of these different cultures, it gets used in all of these different ways and carries all of this different meaning. It's a really interesting thing to see how much meaning gets carried and such different meaning in the same time across the world. Exactly. It like is already like expanding, I think, our conversation as we begin to think about this. Totally agree. <laughs> so as we dig deeper here, when I've encountered education around gender expression, it's been this description of the spectrum that I shared. But I wonder, have you encountered in your diversity, equity, and inclusion training work, is there another kind of construct or way that we think about gender expression that's not a spectrum? I think there is, and I think it happens once we get beyond the spectrum. Um, because we're having this conversation, right, where we're realizing that all of these different meanings and assigned genders for essentially the same garment exist across the whole world at the same time. It kind of makes the spectrum irrelevant. Yes. <laughs> so you, you, you end up, once you think far enough into it, uh, with this reality that 
the spectrum doesn't exist, which means you're thinking about gender expression outside of a spectrum altogether. So then if we're kind of breaking the spectrum or or walking away from it, what are some of these words or additional words that people can use to describe gender expression? We've already mentioned masculine, feminine, and androgynous, but I know that's not the whole list. So what are some of the other words that people might use to talk about gender expression? I think some of the, the easiest two to use are gender conforming and gender non-conforming. Uh, those speak less to the spectrum and more to your sense of gender identity, which I understand you'll be talking about uh, in another episode, but uh, it, it helps you to understand the relationship between you and your clothing, right? So gender conforming then, the, the clothes that you are choosing or the way that you are styling your hair or doing whatever it is, align with your understood gender identity. Gender non-conforming then is things that are outside of that gender identity. So say I identify as female and I'm wearing a dress, which I and other people understand to be something for women to wear, and I am gender conforming. That makes a lot of sense. So if one then identifies as a man and were to wear, let's say, a dress in the United States, which he and the society understand as a feminine article of clothing, he would be gender nonconforming. Is that right? Correct. And then you would have gender neutral as well, which in the United States today we might understand as being pants. Women and men are equally capable, equally acceptable in wearing pants. So this is really a whole nother framework than thinking about it on a spectrum. And so then I kind of from there, is it still useful to have masculine, feminine, androgynous? Like what kind of function do those words fit in when we're thinking about this in, in a different framework based on gender nonconforming, gender conforming, and with gender neutral being in there as well? I think they speak to different things. So I think when you when we're talking about this outside of the spectrum, gender neutral, gender conforming, gender non-conforming, we're speaking about our relationship with our clothes and our gender identity. So those are the two things that are in that relationship. But then when you're talking about masculine and feminine and androgynous, you're really specifically talking about relationship between the things that you're wearing and society's expectations of those perceived genders. I'm thinking all of what you have said through my brain, and I think I understand, and that makes sense. So all of these words are helpful. They're kind of speaking to these different relationships that you've pointed out for us. So like I identify as non-binary, that's my gender identity. You just go into whether I'm gender neutral, gender non-conforming, gender conforming, I'm usually pretty gender neutral in the way that I dress. But societally, I'm perceived more as masculine because I don't dress in a feminine way. Yeah. So then one more question kind of here with these words. When I hear someone describing themselves as mask or femme, do that, does that speak to gender expression or is that being used in a different way? It depends on the person. I think there will be some people who are 
me in a, in a not in the binary frame of reference that will say that they are more mask or femme, and then they're very clearly speaking to gender expression. I think there are others, particularly in the lesbian community, there's a lot of a description and discussion of mask and femme that is more to a description of acceptance of roles of society than it does towards a description of one's own gender, if that makes sense. It does. And I, again, just really love what you pointed out at the beginning of it varies person to person, right? This And this is something a lot we talked a lot about in the Born Superstars episode about sexual orientation, that so many of these identities and labels and words that we use to talk about ourselves mean different things to different people. And so as you are in relationship with people, And as they share with you their stories, just to really be on the lookout and and to be listening to hear how they talk about themselves and to honor that and celebrate that. I think to ask questions, too, if you're uncertain of specifically the way that someone is describing themselves, to feel comfortable asking, what exactly does that person mean by what they're saying? Yeah, especially yeah, when you're when you're in a relationship with people to be able to come to understand them more and I don't know, maybe learn something about yourself in the process too. You never know. No. So we've been talking a lot about clothes and I think that is one of the most obvious ways that people express their gender. And so I think to ask this question too is important and kind of flows well next. Like what is the benefit of being able to dress for your authentic self rather than society's gender norms? Like what, cause it's a little, it can be a little bit of a risk. It may not always be safe to dress in a gender non-conforming way. Um, so what is the benefit of being able to do that for yourself and to create a society in which that is accepted and even celebrated? I think there's huge benefit. And and one of the first people who was really, at least recently, celebrated for transgressing gender norms, right, was Jaden Smith. He started wearing dresses to prom. I remember that. Right. It was fascinating. So I think we pretty quickly saw this, this benefit of Jaden being able to be completely himself and being free to wear whatever he wanted to wear and what felt good to him. I think that's a lot of the benefit it is individually and for yourself to feel like yourself, right? Mm-hmm. We, we try to dress and appear in ways that are true to ourselves. And it's incredibly damaging when society's gender norms put a hold on that or a block on that and tell you that you can't be your full complete self. Yeah. I don't from there too, I wonder if you might be comfortable to share some of your experience as you have grown in your understanding of gender expression. I imagine that when you were younger that these words weren't always like a part of your vocabulary. So can you share a little bit about how your journey has gone, how you've come to understand yourself? Um, and in that, what are some of the joys and hard parts of that too? Absolutely. Yeah, I grew up in South Texas, right where I'm currently sitting, and uh, was always kind of what my mom would describe as a tomboy. Um, 
which was not super helpful in the 90s in South Texas when you were supposed to dress in, you know, jean skirts and whatever else was popular at the time. Sure. I remember those jean skirts of the 90s. Right. They were super popular. And, you know, everything had flower patches and yes. uh, pink jelly sandals. We really want to go full into it. Oh, yeah. My mom never let me have those, but yeah. <laughs> so I, I grew up my youngest days dressing very much uh, how mom and the world wanted me to dress and started pretty quickly to realize that that was not what was comfortable for me. So then I started, you know, sneaking a, a peek at my bro younger brother's clothes. They're about the same size, probably when we were in middle school. And I would, you know, see like, what, what's my brother's pants fit like, right? Mm. Like, can I, can I get away with wearing boys clothes? And then when I was probably in high school or so, my mom was like, Katie, don't you know that men's t-shirts fit better than women's do? <laughs> Also, and they probably have pockets. Exactly. So I was like, cool, men's t-shirts, so much more comfortable. They don't focus on areas of my body that I'm not totally comfortable with. So I started wearing a lot of men's shirts. Then I went to college and tried to do the girly girl thing, and that didn't work out and started to go more on the masculine side of things. Then I moved to California for seminary. Uh, that's where I got very serious about figuring myself out and really trying to get comfortable with who I am. And so I got a major haircut. Um, I used to always have like hair down to my mid back and then cropped it super short in a men's style. Well, at least what we understand to be a men's style. Sure. Like, again, it's like one of those same sorts of things like gender does hair really have gender? No, but we assign it. And so continue. Yeah. So short, short hair. Then I realized that men's jeans are much more comfortable. <laughs> so I, I started venturing more into men's clothing, which is almost exclusively what I wear now. And funny that my proportions apparently fit the standard proportions of a, an American man. So there we have it. There you go. Over that time, it's really been a shift from being girly because that's what people wanted, but feeling a lot of shame and feeling not like myself and like I never fit in. I was really struggling to know who I am. So now I express who I am every day. The clothes that I wear are a part of me and they fit the way that I want them to and I'm comfortable. Yeah. And I, I hear especially in these last few sentences that you've shared that that being comfortable in your clothes like is not only about like the physical comfort of is this big enough? Does it give me the room to move in the way that I want to move for the activity at hand? But like comfortable in what and I heard you say the word shame like in in am I expressing myself and when we are not able to express ourselves with us clothes, I mean, that word that you use there, shame, we can feel shameful. And that shame, like, takes up so much space in your brain and, like, mental energy and emotion that it, that it takes away, I think, people's ability 
you know, to be able to engage more fully with the world because you're just thinking about how uncomfortable you are or how embarrassed you are or why can't I look like so-and-so? Like, And I think that it really robs people of peace of mind and peace of self. Definitely. And I think when you're dressing in the way that society expects, but not in the way which is in your soul comfortable for you, you end up constantly battling this, this balance of things where you're dressing in a way that makes people like you because you are as they expect you to be, but you don't like yourself. Mm. And then on the flip side, when you're dressing in ways that are comfortable for you, which is off-putting to many people when you're not conforming to gender assigned at birth, you feel full in yourself and true and honest. Yeah, and I hope too that you are able to attract people who are going to become like those friends that are family, that are going to support you in being your true identity and that you're not just having people like like you, like you said, because you look cool and you fit what they expect, but that you're able to build the community around you that we all need. And I also think probably empower other people to be their true selves too. I mean, like it is good enough and important enough for you and us and me to do this work for ourselves. And I think there's an empowerment piece as well for other people in, in seeing the others live authentically. Definitely. And I think too, it, it is hard for it to be an off-putting thing for you to be fully expressing yourself as yourself. At the same time, it's, it's kind of an interesting litmus test, right? You walk into a room and you can already tell pretty quickly who are your people and who aren't based on people's reaction to the way that you dress. Yeah, you know, you know. So I've got a follow-up question about the haircut because this is something that I've been thinking about because I think hair is another really big way that people express themselves. And so if you have someone in your life who has undergone the big hair change, maybe in length, like you described, like maybe in color, maybe in styling it, and you have the inkling that it's like connected to their gender identity, like are there particularly helpful things to say to that? And then on the flip side of that, are there hurtful things that are said too to that? I'm going to start with hurtful because it's the, the thing I remember most. Mm, yeah. Just do not say, I just liked your hair the way it was before. Oh, that cuts me. It hurts. It's not nice. And you. it may be true for you, but that person doesn't need to hear that. And so I think the thing that's most helpful is to be affirming and to say, you know what, that looks great on you. Or you look like your full self. Even if you don't like it, you don't have to like it. It's not for you to like. It's for them to feel fully themselves. Yeah, I love that. That it's my opinion of someone else's hair, like, doesn't matter. Like, it's their choice. Yeah. And and to if I want to be a good friend, a good partner, I should be celebrating that and helping them to find them their full selves. Absolutely. 
So how might you counsel someone who is thinking about making a shift in their gender expression? What would you say to maybe a teenager who was thinking about doing some gender non-conforming things or leaning into a more gender neutral way of expressing themselves? The first thing I'd say is just to make sure that you're in a safe position to do that. Uh, we know that the world is not always as kind as we wish it was. Mm -hmm. So if you're in a, a place where exploring gender expression is going to put you in a dangerous position, it might be better to wait. Yeah. At the same time, if you're trying to go and, and explore a little bit, hit up a clearance section of the opposite gender and buy some things or get your hair cut a little bit shorter or grow it out a little bit longer um, and just kind of dip your toe in the water and see where it goes. Some things may feel great, some things may not, and that's okay either way. It's all kind of a, tri a trial and error, like an experiment to figure out what feels best, right? Absolutely. And I mean, I can speak too to the reality that those things will change over time. I've been in situations where I was really focused on work and wasn't allowed to be in the places that I was, wasn't allowed to be my full self and started wearing things that didn't make me happy anymore. And then now I'm in a place working that I love and have noticed that the way that I dress changed and that I'm much happier with it. So going back to this point about what you made of it being safe for teenagers and adults to start, you know, experimenting in our gender expression, I wonder if there are other intersections with other things about ourselves that might make it easier or harder or safer or less safe to experiment in this way. Things like maybe age or gender or race. Is that something that you have heard from other folks or that you've experienced as well? Absolutely. Uh, we know that the world is not as easy for people that are of extreme ages on either side, particularly for females and non-binary and gender non-conforming people, and also people who aren't white. Um, and it's not a judgment of people who are on the, the benefiting or privileged side of that, but definitely a reality on the more oppressed side. And so you, know, you get really young people who aren't in safe places because they don't have control of their lives to make those changes. You have elderly people who also are in many ways denied housing, even uh, in nursing homes and such that can't explore in the same way they might want to. And you see all the time their gender intersects that women don't have often the same freedom to decide who they want to be. Actually, I might flip it in this case. I think men in our society are much more restricted in what their gender expression looks like. And so stepping out of that can be quite dangerous. Yeah, as you were speaking, especially about young people and their relationship with their parents, it brought to mind something on the Roanoke College campus, which is the Lutheran school here where I live in Salem. Um, they've actually established a clothes closet for folks who are non-binary or going through a transition and also exploring gender expression as well. And it's called Out of the Closet, which I just think is the perfect name 
for a queer clothing closet. And one of the reasons they founded it was because the young adults at the college they found aren't always out to their parents. And when they're at a stage in life when maybe their parents are buying their clothing still, like they can't ask for this gender bending clothing or like this gender non-conforming clothing, like for Christmas, like they might be able to ask for the appropriately gendered sweater or whatever. Or if the, or if the student, you know, is in a different financial category and maybe they're responsible for buying all of their clothes, like buying a whole new wardrobe to fit a new identity is really expensive. And so I think that's just a really, right. (laughs) I feel like you have something to add to that. No, it's, it is so expensive. Uh, especially if you're patronizing brands that are catering to gender nonconforming people, it's usually good clothes, which means it's really expensive clothes. Right. And when you're starting out either as like a college student or a young adult, or even with like every professional transition that you maybe just need something more formal or more casual to kind of fit that new work vibe, like hopefully you can find something that like fits how you want to express yourself, but it often means investment in new pieces and that's expensive. Definitely expensive and hard when you're just figuring it out to, to make those investments when you're not sure if they're going to work. Yeah. So I love your recommendation of like, go to the clearance rack and like, just find some, find a few pieces and like, see how it goes. I lived out of the Target clearance rack for years. I love it. I was just at Target this past weekend, like <laughs> buying for a transition that I'm going through. Yeah, like going back to some in-person things and being like, oh, some things have changed since I was last in person two years ago. So I get it. Absolutely. So in all of this, we have been so affirming, I think, and learning about all of these different types of gender expressions. And that same joy and affirmation is found in the Bible too. And I was wondering if there's a particular verse or story or character that comes to mind for you when we think about the affirmation of God being present in all gender expressions. I think I'll just pop up a couple of verses real quick um, when I'm thinking about it. So I grew up a super Southern Baptist in South Texas, which means that John 316 was painted on everything. Yeah. Also, it's meaningful at some point once you kind of back into it and, and get rid of all of the societal expectation that's been placed on it, that God did so love the world that any who believe, everyone who believes, have eternal life. I think that was, uh, as a kid, one of the bigger ones for me. But also my confirmation verse, which I was confirmed as an adult, so it's a lot more recent than you might think. But uh, Joshua 1.9, I hereby command you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go, Uh, even through whatever gender expression is the way I've always understood that. Yeah, I mean, the slogan here at All Places Together is God loves you wherever, whoever, however. And I feel like I'm going to be needing to do some Joshua work as well, because that's like the perfect verse. I love Joshua. Also, 
It's Joseph and the Coat of Many Colors, which I think is a really under-recognized story when it comes to gender expression, but probably because it involves being a real church nerd to see just how deep it goes. So the the Greek, or is it Hebrew? Hebrew word that explains Joseph's coat, which his father gives him, right? This is this is this really familial situation. Obviously, Joseph was appreciated by his parents, but it's ketanet pasim, which is only used in one other place in the Bible and connects the coats of Joseph and Tamar, the sister of Amnon, uh, who was given this ketanet pasim, that this garment that was understood to be very feminine and given to someone of decent wealth. And so then you have J Joseph being given a coat of the same type, a young man given this feminine, very well put together garment by his father. And that's something different. And that is something that gets totally lost in English. Like I did not know that before. And I've read both of those stories like several times and I I wouldn't have even like had that on my radar that that would have been the same word. Well, and it totally changes the way that we think about Joseph's relationship with his family, right? And with his brothers, that maybe Joseph was a gender bendy kind of guy. And that's maybe why his brothers didn't appreciate him too much at the time. Yeah. Can you fill in for our listeners just like a few sentences on what Joseph's relationship is like with his brothers, because it may be that they are not familiar with this story. Because this is Old Testament Joseph, not father of Jesus, like adopted father of Jesus, however you want to call that, like husband to Mary, New Testament Joseph. Right, so Joseph was one of several brothers. I don't remember the exact number. Uh, I believe he was the youngest and the most favored by their father. And so Joseph would be allowed to, you know, not go bring in the harvest or whatever. He was allowed to go and be off on his own and be a, more of a thinker. And so his brothers end up throwing him in, in kind of a cistern well situation and then selling him into slavery in Egypt. So not the greatest familial example. No. You know. We're, I think this offers kind of a, a different look into maybe why that happened. Yeah, that that in ancient times, I imagine that there were very similar um, or even perhaps more intensified prejudices and stereotypes and certainly rules for how you had to be in the world and how you had to act. And if he was, yeah, if he was gender nonconforming, I think that would have been certainly something that cast him on the outside of things, or that would have been a cause for concern. Like, would his different differentness be a problem for his brothers? Right. And I mean, clearly we see that there's strife that's caused by Joseph's differentness. You know, he does have this horrible relationship with his brothers. He does get sold into slavery in Egypt. But we also see the way that God is always with Joseph and that Joseph Ends up, you know, the right hand of the Pharaoh, essentially, with lots of land and lots of space. And eventually his brothers literally coming back and begging him for help. 
Yeah. Joseph's story is amazing. I mean, that he ends up being the savior of his family and all of the Hebrew people during this famine because he has this relationship with Pharaoh and convinces Pharaoh to let these people come in so they survive. Um, Yeah, I think at some point, I think it's at the end of the story where, like you said, the brothers come back. They need food. They are starving to death. They're going to starve to death. And Joseph says something like, what you intended for ill, like God intended for good or God made good. Like I would have to go back and look at it to see that exact quote. But that that assurance of in really hard situations, even when people are being so mean and terrible and treating people like property and all of these things, like God is still with those people and sustaining them and working to to bring them to a better place and make the world a better place. So none of that crap happens to begin with. I think that's true for us still today. When we think about gender nonconforming people, we we still get a lot of crap, mm-hmm. but we can use it for good and we can make a better world out of it by continuing to be ourselves. Yeah. Well, I know that you being here at all places together and sharing your story teaching me things I know our listeners will have learned as well is definitely part of God's expansive kingdom of God, kingdom of God, and helping all of us be able to understand gender expression better and to be able to celebrate the diversity that we see in it. So thank you so much, Katie, for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Prayer for Authentic Expression. Mother God, you created our bodies out of love and made each of our hearts and minds unique. Each person is a different reflection of the beauty that is you. May we use our resources to share this beauty with the world. For those of us who are struggling to find their authentic expression, Grant them peace in their hearts and confidence that you are with them on this journey. Help us to celebrate with those who have found their authentic expression. And remind us that your love is always with us and for us, whoever we are and however we express gender. Amen. Thank you for joining us at All Places Together. If you heard yourself or someone you know in these stories today, we hope you heard God too. If you've been learning along with us about God's boundless diversity and are looking for some more resources around gender and sexuality, I have a few recommendations I'd like to share today. Queerfully and Wonderfully Made, and then Welcoming and Affirming, 
are a great set of resources for teens and those who work with teens, but maybe for adults in general too, especially if you're like me and didn't get a whole lot of this information while you're growing up. These two books offer excellent information as well as so much celebration and grace and wonderful resources in the back. If you're looking for a book that works through what the Bible says about sexual orientation, God and the Gay Christian is excellent. And I actually got it from the index in Welcoming and Affirming. For anyone with questions about historical context, ancient languages, or a thorough representation of various points of view, this book is it. But don't worry, it's an affirming and happy ending. I'll be sure to include links to all of these books in the show notes. To continue to see All Places Together grow, you can give through our website. Scroll to the bottom where it says Give to All Places Together and you'll be redirected to our giving platform. Thanks to our mission partners, the Virginia Synod, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, and everyone who has shared gifts. We know it can be hard to give financially. So we celebrate all of the ways you share the stories of all places together with the people in your life and engage with us throughout the week, especially on social media. If you haven't found us on social media yet, I invite you to follow us at All Places Together, both on Instagram and on Facebook. You can always tag family and friends in the comments or share posts to help share the love with those that you love. And until next time, remember that God is with you and God loves you wherever, whoever, and however you are.